Welcome back to Crazy Bait Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. So, um, gang, for the last several weeks now, we've been talking about women of the Bible. We have looked at Old Testament characters, New Testament characters, and see how women have played very important roles throughout the history of Scripture and Old and New Testaments. And today, I think we're going to try to wrap up this series. And so, Sarah, do you want to kind of tell us where we're looking to go today with our women of Scripture? Sure. Today we are addressing the elephant in the room. (laughs) Those problematic texts that appear in the New Testament that have been used by by Christians and by the church at large to try to silence women in the church. And maybe it, it, there, there's a method to our madness all along in that we, while, while it wasn't our intent at the start of all this adventure to say, we're going to conclude then uh, making an argument about why women should be allowed to have women's leadership roles, but there, there's a method of the madness in the sense that hopefully, as we've taken a look, if you followed it all along, there's a pretty clear um, pattern and a pretty clear uh, bit of evidence that women in both the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures have had leadership roles in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. We've talked about people whose uh, leadership was upfront and in official roles, whether it's Deborah the judge, who's also named a prophetess, uh, whether it's um, Esther the queen uh, and use of her uh, position and privilege to, to advocate on behalf of her people. And then people who've operated in courageous ways behind the scenes without uh, any any acclaim, folks like uh, Ruth, who you know saves her family and her mother-in-law's family mm-hmm. line, uh, but without getting you know a, a title or applause for it. And we've taken a look and seen that in the New Testament as well, there were clearly women uh, at the feet of Jesus alongside Peter and James and John as disciples. There were clearly women whose job was bringing resurrection news on Easter morning, like mm-hmm. right from the get-go. And even as the church kind of made the transition from loose, chaotic gaggle of people to organize communities, women had important leadership roles, even with the New Testament using titles like deacons and prophetesses and uh, uh, apostles and apostles as well. Um, and uh, that, that suggests all along the way, throughout the whole sweep of scripture, women's leadership has been an important role, both in talking about God's stuff and in civic leadership, like all these have been possible roles, and Maybe the other thing I've noticed as we've taken a look is how most of the time the biblical writers don't think the headline is, oh my goodness, a woman was who they want, but it was more like, we were in crisis and God raised up somebody. It happened to be Deborah. Or, you know, oh my goodness, we need someone to bring the news of Jesus alive. Mary's here? Great. Mary, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- there wasn't the sense of, oh, I guess if it has to be a woman. But the, it, it's almost that the headline is that this is a non-headline for so many of the, the writers or communities uh, that, that, that create what we call the Bible now. Yeah, and these women have been examples, not only just for other women, but yeah. for, for all people. You know, we've been, uh, if you follow us on our blog, you know, we've been hashtagging this heroes for all. Mm-hmm. Because these women are examples, not just to other women, but to, to men, to children, to people of all ages, of what it's like to follow God and to follow Jesus. Yeah, I, I, that's another thing that I've taken away from this, too, is how much... Um, everybody has to learn, and and again across so many different lines. It's not just that men can learn from these women's examples too, but also that um, pastors or people who were in you know, roles of official church leadership can learn from people who had no official titles. But man, there's so much we saw. At least I feel like we saw from you know the 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 courage uh, and the the compassion and the faithfulness of Ruth. Or and there there are things that I need to be learning from 
these stories, uh, and that it's also not just like, well, pastors only learn from the example of other pastors. Nope, that's that's backward thinking too. But look at the midwives from from right. um, Exodus, you know, and how they usurped Pharaoh, yeah, and all yeah. that he was trying to do to the Hebrew children. I mean, there's so much. Um, just not preaching gospel or, or taking the gospel and teaching the gospel, but, you know, even social justice issues are covered through these right, women. Right, right. And for that matter, good use of camping supplies with JL and her tent pack. <laughs> <laughs> she was a Girl Scout, I promise. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, we, we've hopefully uh, at least laid the groundwork that the whole of the scripture seems to again and again and again lift up. Look, women were involved in all sorts of ways of leadership. And when we get to the New Testament... I think we can make a pretty powerful case that uh, in some pretty essential gospel-centered sort of uh, writings of what we call the New Testament, the idea of women's, um, uh, I guess, equal footing or, or uh, uh, similar similar uh, roles or status uh, before God is uh, at the core. Like I think about Galatians 3 where Paul says, you know, regardless of what the old boundaries were, there's no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer free or slave. There's no longer male and female, even in a way that there echoes the original language from Genesis. Mm-hmm. There's sort of God doing something brand new, a whole new creation, uh, where those old boundaries or divisions that used to keep us apart and used to keep us uh, in separate boxes of one worth more than the other, that these are are done with in the new in the in the new humanity God's creating. Mm-hmm. All that said, though, there are places where the the scriptures <laughs> sort of raise the question about how women uh, are are, are advised or directed to conduct themselves in worship uh, and other circumstances. And it's worth unpacking maybe what's actually going on in these passages to see how how you hold these all together. Uh, Where's a good place to start, Sarah? I would say 1 Corinthians. Okay. Paul has quite a bit to say about women in 1 Corinthians. Whether it's about how they should be doing their hair (laughs) or what they should be saying or how they should be saying it. Um, So one of the problematic text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is one of those places where Paul just straight out says, women should be silent in the churches. Okay. But again, this is following the previous chapter was about women should cover their hair when they are speaking in church. (laughs) Right. So the context is going to be important. This is maybe a good case study for how you use the scriptures for exploring any issue. And the temptation mm-hmm. for any any of us is always pick a verse that you like and remove it from its context because I like this verse and it reinforces what I already think, so I don't need to read any further because I found a verse that I like. And you're pointing out that if we're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians 14 about women and when they are quiet or silent in church, uh, that we should pay attention to what comes before 1 Corinthians 14, like 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and 13. Huh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what were you going to say? Um, so I think, like you're saying, this is a place that gets proof text a lot because verse 34, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, women should be silent in churches. Okay. It says that. It's yeah. there. But um, I'm going to delve just a little bit into Greek. Okay, Not let's go there. Lot. Okay. Because context is important. Yeah. And the Greek is important here because if you look at it, in the context, there is this little tiny Greek word called a, which sounds very Canadian. Yeah, uh-huh. it's Greek, and it is. Paul's writing in Toronto when he wrote. Right, it's just a way to say what nonsense or no way. And so, really, if you look at it, you know, just get the scope out just a little bit more. It says, "For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church." Nonsense! Did the word of God originate with you? What? 
only people it has reached. So really, if you look at it like that, with that Greek word and pay attention to it, mm. Paul almost seems like he's saying the opposite. The opposite, yeah. That women shouldn't be silent in the church because the word of God comes to everybody. Yeah. Not just the men folk. And it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. This is one of those points where it's tough for us sometimes to get around that it's tough to bring into another language sometimes the, the force uh, of, of uh, the original language, especially when sometimes things are meant to be read with irony or, or reversal. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, I often think, uh, this is not on uh, women's leadership in particular, but it, stick, it jumps out in my mind as a, a similar example. At the very, very tail end of Mark's gospel, in our earliest, earliest manuscripts, the last line is, and nobody told anybody because they were afraid. And I think that has to be read in a sense of irony, because obviously, eventually, who told Mark? I mean, eventually somebody told, and I think mm-hmm. it's intentionally made this sort of like humorous, like, of course they told you, you know. Uh, and the, in a similar way, um, uh, there are places where the scriptures use irony or or uh, uh, almost sarcasm, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a sort of dramatic kind of a way. And Paul will frequently use that kind of a, God forbid, or, you know, uh, the, no, 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 it couldn't be like that yeah. kind of. And what's, what's really hard with Greek in translating Greek yeah. is there's no punctuation. Yeah. So there's plenty of places where Paul seems to be quoting the original letter that we don't have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to be quoting it and then refuting it. But since we don't have punctuation in Greek, we can't tell when he's quoting and when he's not, and so sometimes it gets very fuzzy. They probably would have known, because Mm -hmm. they wrote the original letter, they would recognize the words that he's repeating back to them, but we don't have the letter that the the people of Corinth sent to him. Right. So now it's just, oh, he might be quoting somebody here, he might not be, we don't know, Mm because there's no quotation marks in Greek. And that I think that's an important reminder too that when when we picture how these letters first came about, maybe because our culture is such a visual print and reading culture, we sort of assume that like the printed text was like the final version in people's mind, but it was much more like a reading guide, and this is all to be read out loud. And so, mm-hmm. in context, as these words are read, the way it's delivered, you're going to be able to tell when he's quoting somebody. He might have even done air quotes. <laughs> um, but that in the in the original experience of these letters, these are oral events that a mm-hmm. reader would have said out loud, and everybody in the room would be like, "Oh, that was the question that we asked, Paul. He's now answering that question." And sometimes, like he will even throw back their words, like you say, almost in a mocking tone, like in earlier in Corinthians, where it's like, "I've heard some of you are saying I belong to Paul, and I belong to Paul." I mean, he's using their words and throwing mm-hmm. them back at them, like, "You dummies! No, that's not how this works." And again, context suggests. If in, if in this same letter Paul's taken that tone of taking their words and using them back on them, that at least gives us a reason for a plausible way of, of reading this passage. In, in fact, it might be Paul saying the exact opposite of what many English translations make it look like he's saying. Mm. There's further evidence maybe too, because other places in, earlier in Corinthians you noted, he's talking about women speaking or leading in worship. And it's, I mean, this is the same letter, mm-hmm. same guy, not not separated by years or decades or centuries or whatever. So the same guy who was earlier in Corinthians saying, when women, when women get up and speak, they should have their heads covered. That assumes they have heads, they are coverable, and they're speaking. <laughs> I mean, this, this suggests a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think might bring up another point is okay. we don't follow that part right. in yeah. 1 Corinthians anymore. Like, yeah, I don't cover my head when I preach. I don't either. So it's also one of those things that at least I've had things like 1 Corinthians 14, 34 mm-hmm. like, thrown at me as yeah. like, oh, you shouldn't be preaching. But nobody has ever told me to cover my hair. Right. Mm-hmm. Ever. 
And, and it, it seems to me right there, there's clear evidence that there's some stuff going on in Paul's world when Paul writes that are bound to what's going on in the Greco-Roman first, mm-hmm. first uh, century world. And we might have to explore why does why do first century Greco-Roman people care about women's head being covered or not. But clearly, uh, as we take a look at these texts now... Uh, I, I know very few people who would say, yes, to obey the letter of the law, not only are women not allowed to uh, speak in church, but just in case they get the idea of speaking, they should have their heads covered. Like, no, clearly there's a sense of that's a, uh, you know, Mediterranean culture in the first mm-hmm. century sort of a deal, and there's not, there's, there's not all the assumptions that come along with that in the, in the uh, 21st century or wherever, and that it's okay to say, not that Paul's wrong, you don't, you don't have to say, well, I don't like what Paul says, so he's wrong, but to say, clearly, this is something that he's writing to his world, and he's not envisioning every possible scenario that his words could ever be read in, he's dealing with the people right in front of him, mm-hmm. uh, and we ask something more of the text than it intends if we say, well, now you have to address Paul. We have to assume Paul is addressing all Christians for all time in every circumstance about how women keep their heads covered or not. So similarly, about how women uh, were, were instructed to when to speak or not to speak, that, that seems that is just as likely to be part of whatever the, the cultural uh, setting is there, right? Well, I mean, we take these passages from Paul, these letters from Paul, and the other letters in the New Testament, and and they're part of our scripture. So obviously we feel like there's something in here that speaks to all Christians of all time. Paul is clearly, A, writing to a context, and B, probably not figuring that 2,000 years later people were still reading these letters. And, and for that I mean, matter, let's be clear about that. Paul doesn't, re- you know, doesn't realize that two thousand years later, he's going to be this great apostle that's <laughs> that's you know has is still being read in churches. Yeah, that we're going to be picking apart his words one by one. What did Paul mean? Right, right. Well, and and maybe in part because I, I imagine that Paul gives a certain amount of credit to his readers to know like some of these things should be obvious. This is writing to this particular context. Mm-hmm. This is the world that I'm writing in. But, like, yeah, don't you have to make a f- big fuss about things that are, are different circumstances? In, in a way that, like, Paul could be so, so attentive to if when he's, when he's writing to a Jewish context or, or Jewish Christians, he's very attentive to um, not causing undue scandal. You know, so, yeah. like, you know, he could make a point about, you know, uh, uh, making sure to, to be respectful of, mm-hmm. of Jewish customs in certain contexts, but in other places saying, there's times when I flout that as a reminder of our freedom in Christ, but he's very, very mindful of context. And he can shift between his letters and be like, in this context, this is how I speak. In this context, this is how mm-hmm. I speak. And Paul assumes his readers have that ability to pay attention to what's going on in their culture uh, and, and, and what's not. Um, I think that that's an important backdrop here. The, the other thing I think is important, um, we, were, we were mentioning a little bit before we started recording, that once you get to 1 Corinthians 14, as Sarah helpfully noted, that follows 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, where uh, not only have, have you had conversation in Paul's letter about women having their heads covered when they are preaching, but also about other groups he advises to be silent at certain times. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems one of the recurring issues in Paul's Corinthians with, the, with the, a, his correspondence with the Corinthians is the chaos that seems to be unfolding when they gather for worship. And again, picture house churches, picture people, everybody, you know, piling into so-and-so's atrium and we're just having a, a Bible study and potluck and worship all that sort of meld into one thing or another, a potentially chaotic place. And Paul, at several points earlier 
commands silence for uh, if he says if you're going to speak in tongues uh, but there's nobody to interpret be silent that's not useful at this point and he's he's make no apology about you be silent now and wait for somebody mm-hmm. to wait your turn don't all be talking to each other and then similarly he talks about you know uh, when when you're allowed to be speaking if someone else is talking let them have their turn um, again this this suggests to me that First Corinthians isn't Paul with his axe grind about man I need to make sure women are silent his bigger issue seems to be Things are chaotic when they gather, mm-hmm. and nobody can hear anything if you're just shouting over each other, and it's, I've got an idea, no, I've got an idea, but, like, could we please take turns? And I think that leads to another point in historical context, yeah. that in the Mediterranean Arab world, even today, one of the ways that women could, can, and encouraged to participate in worship is by doing ritual yelling mm. and wailing. Whether it is sounds of joy at the birth of a new baby, Mm -hmm. or whether it is that mournful sound when somebody dies, that that was a role assigned to women, Mm. and that that was kind of what women were used to, is this is how you participate in the life of worship, is you get to do this wailing. Mm -hmm. And so now it could be that they're trying to keep doing this, and Paul's trying to encourage them of maybe not right this time. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, that it would be that men were the traditional preachers, speakers, and women wailed. Mm-hmm. And, but now that's not necessarily the case. Also don't wail in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> right, right. Um, wait your turn. And it seems to me that even that wait your turn, it, I, I think, I think the, 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 the thing that makes the most sense to me in light of Paul's whole theology and practice is he is all about, across all of his letters, this idea of to be a follower of Jesus is that we keep putting one another in front of you. Like we keep looking mm-hmm. for ways to serve each other. And so that can I hold my can I can I hold my peace and can I listen to somebody else for a while? Uh, and that I will get a turn. But there's this like if if our whole ethos is people putting the needs of the other first, then we are constantly being told mm-hmm. to put one another first. Now, if the if that gets practiced as in women are never allowed to talk, we've missed something. But if 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 the idea seems to be Okay, if you've got something really, really important to say, but there's you're speaking in a foreign language that nobody else understands, please hold that until there's someone who can translate because that's not useful. And if you're talking when somebody else is talking, that makes it hard mm-hmm. for anybody to get any value out of any of this. Please wait your turn. Let's be grown-ups. In a lot of ways, I think... In some ways, Paul is calling for a kind of let's be grown-ups, let's be mature, we can take turns here, and that that's in a sense, like, a practice of what Christian love looks like, is that we, mm-hmm. okay, it doesn't have to be about me right now, I can wait, and now it will be your turn, and then it will be my turn, and in a way, like, that's a radical thing that, like, 2,000 years later, we are still not very good at. Yeah, as an introvert, um, who often is surrounded by a bunch of extroverts mm-hmm. who have really loud voices, yeah. you know, it, it's, I, as we're talking about this, this makes me love Paul even more, because it, it's like, not only is he giving voice to me as a woman, but also as an introvert and saying, you know what? No, the extrovert with the loud voice isn't the only one that gets to talk the whole time. Right, right, right. And the, even the notion of everybody takes their turn, it can be meant as everybody will get a turn. Would you please hold your horses? Everybody will get a turn. And it, it's a it's a misuse of that way of talking if it's like, and you will never get a turn. No. If this is the situation and someone wants to get up and talk, but they're going to speak in a a heavenly or or strange or foreign language and nobody else can interpret, not useful at this moment. Uh This is about the collective, uh, the the, the edification of all. And so, I mean, even that suggests the point of speech in in Christian community isn't just, I have an opinion, everybody needs to hear it because I have an opinion, but... 
I have something to say that's of value for others, and they might have something of value that I need to hear. Mm-hmm. That that's an important shift, and that's not a women versus men thing. That's a human beings need to be able to get over themselves, and especially in this era of social media, of I need to show everybody what I had for lunch today. I'm posting it on Instagram and Facebook. Here, take a look, or here's my opinion, and everybody else is wrong. That there's something radical going on if in the early Christian community, in a lots of different ways, it's when there's about to be chaos because we're all shouting at each other. Could we please take turns? Um, and if that's more what's going on, then reading 1 Corinthians 14 suggests it's not he's singling out women. Man, you women, you're terrible. You're mm-hmm. thinking you can speak and you're not allowed to speak. But it's more like in each of these moments, if, if, if there's a situation of chaos versus can we please let everybody take their turn, then the, it's not about women versus men so much as this is about mutual edification. As long as we also get the sense Paul seems to be assuming women are having times when they get up and speak or preach mm-hmm. or whatever, if he's giving them direction on how they should dress when they do. <laughs> so uh, there, there are other things we could say about about uh, Corinthians maybe, but I think they all broadly fit in that in that uh, context, of uh, both in the letters context, in what Paul does rhetorically, in the way he sometimes will quote people and go, no, or you know, mm-hmm. use it sort of against his, his, his hearers uh, to expose where they've, they've messed up. There seems to be a lot that undercuts the idea that 1 Corinthians 14 is a once and for all, all times, all circumstances, uh, forbidding of, mm-hmm. of women to speak or something like that. We might also want to take a look at a uh, even, in some ways, more challenging passage uh, from First Timothy, uh, which again is one of those ones. If 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 you're if you're going to open this can of worms, these are some of the worms that start crawling out. Mm-hmm. So uh, where where are we at in in First Timothy? What's going on there? So um, this is in the second chapter, okay. and it's again just the author of First Timothy saying that. Let women learn in silence, in full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. And then to maybe even make it more thorny, uh, the passage goes on to like now name drop Adam and Eve as part of the whole this mess oh, too. Yeah, and it keeps going with like yet she, which presumably Eve, all women, unclear, will be saved through childbearing. As somebody who has given birth, that sucks. <laughs> that, As somebody that, who has not given birth, that also sucks. Right. Like, that, yeah, yeah. Was that me? Have I been saved because I managed to give right. birth to a son? And I'm sorry, Erica, but, <laughs> but I'm not because I haven't. You have it. Oh man. <laughs> and the temptation is like to to see well because that clearly that seems to be what the face of that sentence is. That must be what it means, as opposed to like. Maybe if there are things that seem unclear, we should start with uh, where are the places where things do seem a lot clearer and let those speak more loudly. I mean, like, this is maybe a point for us to say. Again, on whatever biblical issue, whatever issue of theology you're wrestling with, there's wisdom in saying, well, the things that seem abundantly clear are worth, like, giving a certain weight to. And things that we go, I don't know what he's talking about here, saying maybe we shouldn't, like, make everything hang on that verse or something. And yet we do. Right, right. (laughs) Or, like, you know, you'll get, like... uh, uh, there's there's this weird weird obscure passage um, about baptism for the dead in the Corinthian correspondence, and like you can be one of those uh, uh, groups that set, hangs a lot of your theology on baptizing the dead, or you can go that doesn't there's no other place that sort of goes in that direction. I don't know what Paul's going on here, but in the course of my life, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make a whole lot of my faith life hang on one verse about 
baptisms mm-hmm. of the dead happening, uh, if I, especially if the context is obscure. And then similarly here too, um, man, it seems hard to figure out what, what could Paul possibly mean about uh, women being saved through childbirth. Maybe let's start with uh, the ground that seems more solid here. And there are places in this passage that we can get at least a little bit more light shed. One is that in the, the sweep of that whole passage, Again, you get you get this writer who's sort of giving advice about uh, even women's dress as well, all the way down to uh, suitable clothing, hair braided. Uh, oh, not with, not yeah, with. Yeah, 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 not hair braided. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, those those despicable, despicable, sinful braids. Uh, it, it's worth maybe examining um, if if we two thousand years later are able to say, huh? Apparently, some of these issues are culture bound about how mm-hmm. people dress. Um, then maybe is it possible that other stuff in this whole passage is, is culture-bound, mm-hmm. too, about uh, how women are perceived or what they are or not uh, able or allowed to do. And if you've got somebody who's saying that women are not allowed to even braid their hair, um, my goodness, we, we have to say, is there some particular reason in first-century Mediterranean context that would have said, sent a particular message or that would have been something that maybe doesn't mean the same thing today? Because, I mean, otherwise I'm constantly guilty of sin braiding my daughter's hair all the time. <laughs> well, because in our culture, braiding is often seen as a modest right. thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think it harkens back to Little House on the Prairie. Right. You know, it's something, it's also practical because it keeps, keeps your hair nicely, neatly pulled back. But, um, Something was going on in this culture where having your hair braided was kind of equal to wearing lots of gold pearls and expensive clothes. This is like a showing off kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's something that rich rich women did, and for some reason here Paul is like, mm, let's be a little bit more modest, let's not wear the flaunty expensive clothes and jewelry right. and mm-hmm. do your hair all elaborately. You know, maybe this is more akin to like doing a full face of makeup with, like, cat eyes and, like, smoky, smoky <laughs> right. eyeshadow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that clearly you've spent a lot of time on, but that's not what we want to spend a lot of time on right this second because you're going into worship. Not to say that if you're wearing cat eye, like, eyeshadow <laughs> stuff to church, like, that's fine. I'm just, I'm not trying to say that. Just, there's something going on here that's yeah. something with how women are presenting themselves. And maybe the underlying question then becomes, like, uh, are we making gatherings of, of Christian worship all about ourselves, are we able to point beyond ourselves to the good mm-hmm. news that, that centers mm-hmm. us in, in Jesus? And if, if that's really what the issue is, then it's fair to say, and it, it, it seems at least at least plausible to say what's going on in the context of First Timothy is the temptation, at least among some, uh, of making the worship uh, experience all about them, whether it's how they dress or how they speak or whatever, and that Paul, nope, let's be centered on Jesus, who's the reason we're here. Yeah, I once had a seminary class where we took time out of a class period to actually talk about how you dress in leading worship. Because mm-hmm. um, most, in our context, Lutherans, we wear albs and stoles and, you know, vestments. But there are certain areas where you can see your clothing. And for centuries, men have been able to get away with their very typical, like, dress pants, dress shoes. Mm-hmm. And now women are suddenly ordained. <laughs> What do women wear that you can see, and is that necessary, like... Or can we wear pants, or do we have to wear skirts? And your shoes, like, if you wear high heels with your toes peeking out, and you Uh can see your nail polish, is that distracting from the gospel? And, like, it was kind of this debate about trying to figure out, okay, now that women are ordained, how do we conduct ourselves slightly different than men? Mm -hmm. 
and <clears throat> is it a big deal or not? Right. And often that does come down to context and what your congregation is mm -hmm. comfortable with, but you know, be prepared. Somebody might comment on your nail polish choices right. and that gets well, kind that, of awkward. That's part of the reason why even as a Methodist, I do wear an owl every week um, because it's just easier. Yeah. It's funny too because like even even the question like we're we're so getting on a church or a church uh, <laughs> rabbit trail here, but it it, it seems to me like there, there's a relevant point here. Uh, I I've uh, you'll run across some some circles where like pastors wearing robes that's making themselves a spectacle and making themselves the center of attention. You shouldn't wear a robe at all. And I've seen others who are like no, this is the thing that makes it clear it's not about me and how fancy I dress or anything mm. because mm -hmm. it's sort of like this symbol of being clothed with, with Christ or sort of like the, the 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 central thing is focusing on it's a human being who's leading worship, not on boy I like their tie mm. or something or like that. Her dress exactly yes. exactly and um, the the. It, it's funny to me how the same underlying principle of it's not about me, it's let the focus mm -hmm. be on, on the good news of Jesus can be taken in two completely opposite directions. Some people are like, you should wear a robe because it covers up and nobody has to pay attention to how you're mm -hmm. dressed. And others are like, no, if you wear a robe, it makes... And if you, if you put all your chips or all your weight on which way you express it, robes are sinful, robes are good, you've missed the point that it's really this underlying how, how can we read our context and get out of the way of ourselves to be pointing ahead mm -hmm. to this is really about the good news of Jesus. And if we read the Timothy passage in light of that too, I think that helps to, to set things in context too. That, Like you say, in, in our day, uh, braided hair is, is a lot closer to like sort of modest hair wearing, you know, of mm -hmm. all the things you can do to your hair, that's more modest, you know. Um, uh, and on the other hand, um, the, the underlying thing of when we gather for worship, how can we make this point beyond ourselves to be centered on the good news and the God whom we worship and who loves us, we might read our situations differently, uh, not only out of the different traditions that we're from, our context, the congregations that we're in, um, and to, to let that be what it's going to be, knowing that... Um, there will be there may be times that somebody's upset or, offend, or offended, and it's worth being able to say, "Well, here's why I made the choice I did." And at least if you can explain, people can go, "Oh, okay, I get that." And even if they might have made a different choice in their circumstance, then it doesn't need to become an obstacle. It doesn't need to become a, 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 a the wrong kind of scandal, I guess. Mm -hmm. there, there, and th that that line sticks in my head there because there's a there's a, a line I remember. Um, boy, I'm going to forget who said it, but the 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 gist that sticks in my head is that the the call of Christian preachers. Uh, is to cause the right kind of scandal. And the, the, the gospel uh -huh, itself is supposed uh -huh. to be the scandal. You know, the, the news of God's uh -huh. relentless, fierce, surprising love uh, that includes women and men and, and rich and poor and uh, you know Gentile and Jew and all that kind of thing, that that's the scandal. And if we get in the way with other things, uh, we're, we're causing the wrong kind of scandal. And that maybe that's a, a piece for us to keep in mind, that um, whatever our circumstances, we're reading our context um, and knowing how, how can we get out of the way of ourselves and let gospel be what's heard. And if we do that, maybe that helps us to hear what's going on in Timothy in a different kind of light. All right, so we spent at least a fair amount of time with both of these passages that are some of the primary ones that, that occur when people have the conversation about women's leadership in the New Testament. And at least I, I hope we've begun to maybe unravel that what's actually going on in those passages seems to be much more context-driven. And in fact, Paul might well be arguing the opposite and, and encouraging or saying, yeah, women are allowed to, to lead and throw mm -hmm. their, the, the quotes of the audience back at him. And that in Timothy, at, at the very least, you have to say context seems to be... Uh, limiting how this how this passage gets used or where uh, rather than assuming it speaks for all times and all places um, other things that would, would be helpful for us to keep in mind is, as we wrap this thought 
I think it's important to remember the places that Paul do, does yeah. point out his female co-workers. Yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. for sure, I don't think that he would be trying to silence women when he's acknowledging that, hey, Junia, she's a great apostle. An apostle is somebody who's sent to proclaim the good news. Yeah. So I don't think that he's entirely just putting the stamp on, no, women in leadership, yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. And that seems to me to be one more of those pieces of evidence of there are there are things that are not up for dispute. I mean, like when you know you read a First Corinthians sixteen, it's like there, yeah, here's here's women who are named as co-leaders among Paul, and that's that's just what the plain mm-hmm. face of the text is. I don't know how to unpack women are saved through childbirth. That's kind of confusing and obscure <laughs> to me. But uh, Paul rattling off names of women as co-workers in the gospel suggests, huh? These women Paul viewed as co-workers in the gospel, and to work from points of clarity. Uh, and to say whatever I don't understand, whatever is more obscure to read in light of what's clear, that seems like it's solid biblical reading as well. Mm-hmm. And that beyond the individual names and faces uh, of you know uh, Priscilla or Junia or Chloe or Phoebe, there's also that overarching, there's no longer male and female, Jew and Greek and free and slave. And that in Paul's big picture vision, these are things that he doesn't see as... Um, preventing people from leadership in in the life of, of the people of Jesus. Well, if the New Testament is all about freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ, and throughout the series we, we spend a lot of time, in, in fact more episodes, talking about women in the Old Testament and their leadership. Yeah. I mean, if women are so prominent in the Old Testament, in the Jewish literature, then what what about this freedom that we have in Christ that Paul writes about, that the gospel writers write about, that John and, and others write about? What sense does that make for for women to be silent and women not to have freedom. Right. Yeah, that our new reality is be silent. Right. That seems right. counter gospel. When two thirds of our scripture as Christians, you know, has, you know, women in leadership. Right. And it's just a normal everyday thing. Right, right, right. And that seems to me an important piece too as we look at the big sweep that uh, if the Old Testament, if what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, doesn't make this issue about women's leadership and raises up, oh, there's Huldah the Prophetess and there's Miriam and there, you know, all these people who have these both civil and what you could call religious roles of mm-hmm. leadership, it seems a hard case to make that now the New Testament says, hooray, the new thing God's doing in Jesus is dying for our sins and also okay. forbidding women. Like, that seems like a counter, that's yeah. counterintuitive at best. All right, well, uh, thank you for all, all of you for who have been listening and waiting through this series with us. Uh, and I want to offer a special thanks to both to Erica and Sarah for your insights and, and your perspectives, both biblically uh, and also your experience of what it's like to wrestle with these texts doing ministry as well, having lived with people throwing these texts around too. Thank you for that. All right, more adventures next time, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See y'all. Bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.